Good morning again. I'm really glad to be here with you all today. Uh, if you missed my introduction, I'll do it again. My name is Josue Pernillo. I am the pastoral intern here at All Souls Presbyterian Church, and I will be preaching this morning on Luke 2, verses 13 through 14. So if we could turn to Luke 2, verses 13 through 14, the substance therein really in verse 14. Luke 2, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and for this morning, for the privilege and joy that it is to come here, to gather together, and to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for this time and that we get to look into your word. Please strengthen us and bless us as we look into your scripture, that we may find your promises still true today and ringing in our hearts. We look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So people, I like, um, like superhero movies. Not as much as Luke, because Luke really loves like Marvel movies. But I like, I like it too, right? It's also part of my personality. But what I like about superhero movies is usually the origin story, like somebody like fell into a vat of acid or like they found like a secret rock or something like crazy and then they became like something great, right? But people in general, I find, like stories about where great people came from. So I looked some of them up. For example, like when Genghis Khan was born, it says that he was born with a blood clot in his hand, which is weird, right? But then like there is this sort of mythos that's built around great leaders and the place of their birth. The term that we use for gospel, which is evangelion, comes from the Roman Empire when they would announce the news or the birth of the next Caesar. And so, too, we come to the story of a birth. But it's not the birth of just any political leader, but of the king of kings. Um, we are in the book of Luke, which is in my top four gospels, I think. <laughs> Sorry, it's only four. Little Bible joke. Um, it's a be beautiful and thorough gospel. Different books emphasize different things, but the Dr. Luke emphasized, together with Acts, Jesus as the Savior. In the book of Luke, Jesus is the teacher of parables. It has the most parables. He goes to those that are disenfranchised, that have no help, whether it's foreigners or different people that are in the margins of society. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is shown as the Savior. In Luke 9.51, he sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem, and that shapes the rest of the passion. Jesus is the Savior. But before he taught any parables, or cast out any demons, or raised any dead, we come to the beginning of the story. We come to the birth. The King of Kings had been born in Bethlehem, as we read this morning. And nobody noticed. There was no room for him at the end. The eternally begotten Son of God had been born in the Virgin Mary in the city of David. He who will 
be, bring redemption to his people had not been born in the palaces of the powerful or in the houses of the wise, but in a manger. The most important birth in the entirety of mankind, and no one had noticed. There was no fanfare of trumpets. There was no rows of, like, parades, but in a manger. And that brings us to the verses that we just read. Our focus is not specifically on the birth, but with the parallel event, the song of the angels. We continue our Advent series, which is the songs of Christmas. And there are three. Luke, last week, taught about the song of Zechariah. Ethan, next week, teaches about the song of Mary. But this week, we come to the shortest of the songs, the song of the angels. And I hope that as we look into their song, we see the beauty and the good news of Jesus Christ and the impact that it has in our lives. We will see in the song of the angels the celebration we have because of Jesus. And we will see that in two points, just verse 13. We have one verse today. I know. You can even memorize it. I'm kidding. You don't have to. Um, and it's two points, in the highest and on earth. So first point, in the highest. Glory to God in the highest is the proclamation of the angels. The story goes like this, as it, it's written in Luke 2. Shepherds are out in a field, and we'll talk about shepherds in a second. That's the second point on earth. But here, they're out in a field, and an angel appears. And the glory of God shone about them. And they're so shocked that they're afraid, right? Like, of course, you're out in a field in the middle of the night, and suddenly an angel appears. And the angel comes and brings them good news. But suddenly, a host of angels appears. It says a multitude of angels. We don't know how many that multitude was, but I think it's okay to determine that it was many. They were afraid at one angel. What would be the reaction at a host of them? But the angels were not there just for them, but with a proclamation. And the substance of their first point was glory to God in the highest. The angels here ascribing glory to God are not adding glory to God in the sense that they make him more glorious. God is glorious. Rather, the proclamation is a recognition of glory. They proclaim what they had seen. The word here for in the highest, at least in this, in this context, is taken to say in the heavens. God who is lifted high. Glory to God in the heavens. Now we know, certainly, God should be worshipped in all times and in all places. And the angels, out of all created creatures, would have been most aware of this. Especially these, these sinless beings who are worshipping God and have been worshipping God since the beginning of time had seen the glory of God and the glory of Jesus, but here they're responding to what they see. But why, then, do we not, when we walk out in the fields at night, see hosts of angels appearing and bursting into song, other than the fact that it might be terrifying? What is happening here? The angels are responding to glory. And the glory that they're responding to, we understand in verses 11 through 12. That one angel had come down and said something to the shepherds, 
And this is what he said. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He explains to them the significance of what just happened. In the city of David here, which is Bethlehem, serves to add substance to the fact that the Messiah would come from the line of David. The angel also says a savior has come. Savior being the preferred term like we talked about in the Gospel of Luke to Jesus. Jesus is the savior. He has come. Again, he says, the one who comes to save people from their sins, the Savior or this anointed one or Christ, that's what he's saying. He's from the city of David. He's the Savior. He's Christ who is Lord over all. Four messianic titles in a row. The promises of the generations of their fathers now fulfilled in the eternally begotten Son of God who has come to redeem his people. And not only that, you're going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. The eternally begotten Son of God born in a humble estate. And suddenly, the angelic host proclaims, glory to God in the highest. The angels are responding to the gospel. The angels seeing the glory of God in the plan of redemption being fulfilled by the second person of the Trinity, whom they have always worshipped, taking to himself a human nature and being born in a humble estate to redeem his people, burst into song. They cannot help but proclaim. Jesus later, as he enters Jerusalem, and his disciples sing, and the Pharisees rebuke, he says, if they do not sing, the stones will sing. The angels had to sing. How could they not? Paul does something similar in Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is probably one of the like, just most complex and beautiful explanations of the gospel. He has so many arguments and so many wonderful doctrinal points we get from those 11 verses, but, um, 11 chapters. But when he comes to the end of chapter 11, he suddenly bursts into song and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. The wisdom and the knowledge and the glory and the power of God shown in Jesus Christ being born in a humble estate for our salvation. The angels had to sing. Few, if any, understood what was happening. But the angels had to sing. The story that had just begun, that had been planned since before the creation of the world, and most people missed it. But the angels sung. Uh, I used to be a small group leader of college students. And so when you're a small group leader of college students, you usually have to do fun things, right? Like, you can't just like, they're not gonna sit there and read a book with you all the time. They'll do it once in a while, but they're not gonna do it all the time. You know, that and free pizza, that's a secret. I'm kidding, I don't know the secret, there's no secret. Um, and so, I planned this canoe trip at Turkey Run. 
And I mean, I had everything down to the T. I made sandwiches, this is the time, this is where we're meeting, these are the cars that are driving, we're gonna get there, we're gonna have fun. But you know when you're in charge of something and then you start kind of like freaking out about it, you know what I mean? Like everything has to go just right. And so we get there and we get to Turkey Run, but we get there a little late. And the thing with canoe trips is they tell you, hey, you have this long to get to the end of it and then we'll be there to pick up the canoe. Don't get there after this time. And so I think they just meant it as a suggestion, but I was already like kind of scared. <laughs> so then the whole time while we're in this canoe, that's all I could think about. I was like, you know, the lead canoe or the back canoe are the ones that set the pace. But I was like, we gotta go. And, like, and I would turn around and go back and like, you know, and they're all having the time of their lives. And I'm like worried the entire time, but we make it. We make it to the end of the river, just in time, we load up the canoes, we had our sandwiches, I'm like, mission accomplished. We made it through and we're driving back and everybody in my car, all they could talk about was how beautiful the fireflies were. And I didn't see a single firefly. I didn't notice a single tree or rock. I missed it. I was so focused on getting to from one point to another that I completely missed the point of the entire canoe trip. It's easy to miss things. But remember, we're a people who have a reason to sing. December in itself, by the nature of the calendar, is a busy time. It's filled with traveling or visiting or finishing, students are finishing their classes, parents are finishing wrapping presents, and lots and lots of other things. We'll be visiting family or being visited by family. Even in the church calendar, there's different events that fill our time with different services and things to read and things to do and places to be. Our lives during this time can be busy, but that's why. It's important to, especially Advent, to stop and reflect. The news that the angel announced are still true. Our Savior has come. Let us, this Advent, take some time. Enjoy time with our families, but stop and reflect on the beauties of the gospel that the second person of the Trinity took to himself a human nature. Jesus, who was born in a humble estate for our sakes, and our reflection, of course, will flow into song. Luke mentioned that in his sermon last week, that songs in themselves are never mundane, but are always able to lift us out of the ordinary. Christmas, again, or this season, December especially, it has to do with the weather, I think, and even just when so many families gather together, um, it's hard because there's more fights, right? But it's also hard for those that don't have a family. It's easy to feel sad and discouraged and unhappy. We can be unhappy with what we have and what we don't have. That somebody else has more or somebody else has less, it's a difficult time emotionally. And sometimes when you're sad, especially when you're sad, you either sing sad songs or angry songs or you don't sing at all. Maybe 2022 was not what you hoped 
and 2023 is not looking any better, but we have a song. We have a song that we can sing. We have a reason to sing. You know, this was the first church where we closed in the doxology that I've attended. I always like just thought it was like in the books. I just like never experienced it. And at first it was like weird. I was like, why is everybody standing up? You know, <laughs> but um, you know, I look forward to it every week. And so today as we close, remember to sing. You may not feel like singing, but it's still true. We can praise God from whom all blessings flow. That brings us to our next point, on earth. The song of the angels is a song geographically. It's one single stanza, but there's complex, what's called parallelism. That's the only fancy term I'll use for the rest of the day. I just read it a lot. And I worked really hard to find it. And so that's it. I just use it one time. But this, which means this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those whom he is well pleased. Right? So there's two geographies, heaven and earth. So if the first stanza on the song reflects on the glory of God, considering the beauties of the gospel, the second focuses on the impact that it has for whom it is applicable. First, there's a peace that is promised here. There's rich imagery here. Um, but to understand why peace here, sorry, I got, I got lost in my notes. I found myself again though, no worries. <laughs> so to understand why peace is mentioned here, you, go back, you have to go back to Luke 2.1. It says, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, being the nephew and inheritor of his more famous uncle, Julius Caesar, right? He was the first, real first great and powerful ruler of the Roman Empire. And he started something that most historians refer to as the Pax Romana, a 200-year period of peace where the empire thrived, economies were doing great. But here we see the angels singing the peace of another king who brings a greater peace, not just peace among nations. He certainly brings that, but a deeper peace of the enmity that we have with God. An earthly prince can, for some period of time, bring a peace between peoples. But he cannot bring you an internal peace within yourself. He cannot take away striving or anger or covetousness. But here, we have a prince who can. What the angels are singing here is that Jesus will bring us a greater peace through his sacrifice. Reconciling us to God, as it says in Ephesians 2, and to each other. Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. But we can go deeper when we consider to whom this peace was offered. For we have to actually determine the audience of the song. It was shepherds. And we can romanticize the idea of shepherds, but in their day, in the first century Palestine, they weren't these wildly respected men. Uh, there's some sources that say that shepherds couldn't testify in temple proceedings because they were all liars. 
Other sources call them thieves. And others just say that they were in the margins and in the low sections of society. In any case, the point here being that it was those who were disenfranchised, sleeping outside at night. The Lord Jesus came to bring peace to them. Not because they had anything to offer, as Ethan said, because they certainly didn't. But he came to offer them grace. That's why it says, among those with whom he is well pleased. It's a technical way from the first century of saying, with those whom God has poured out his favor, the emphasis being God chose to pour his favor out on them, not because they were deserving, but because he's gracious. The shepherds are a perfect example of this. They were not seeking God, but God chose to show them his glory. They were not well-taught or influential or mighty, but God showed them his favor in the midst of that field. And in verse 20, we see that the response of the shepherds was, if you learn to me to Luke 2.20, and the shepherds returned after they went to go see the baby Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They shared with Mary and the others there what, what, what they experienced, and they glorified God. How would you describe peace? I spent most of my week talking with Luke, coming up with illustrations, because that's how I spend my time. Um, you know, peace is like when you come home after a long day of work, and you turn off the radio, and you sit in your car for like a minute right before you go inside. Right? Peace is like you're the first person to get up in the morning. Nobody else is up. You make yourself a cup of coffee. You sit down. And then you watch the rainfall or the snowfall. Peace is those couple of minutes between meetings where you just sit there, sort of read a book that you like, or talk to somebody that you care about, about nothing. How would you describe peace? How would you describe that sense of not being in contention or in frustration or in anger with other people, or even yourself? How would you describe the internal peace of what it means to be satisfied with your work or with your relationships or with your efforts. The peace that Jesus brings, the peace that the angels sung about is much greater. And that peace that we experience in this life serves as a picture of that true peace that we experience somewhat in this life, but more in the life to come. We have been reconciled with God. The, the song of the angel, again, focuses on two geographies, heaven and earth. For those whom God had poured out this favor, there is a promise of peace. For us, too, it's important to consider the song of the angels. We have a peace because we have been reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus Christ that does not fade away with time. The greatest earthly ruler or king could only bring peace from war and striving among people. But we serve a king who brought peace between us and God, who stills our anxious hearts and quiets our frustrated souls, 
who calls us away from our striving and our plotting to find a quiet and peaceful and full life in him. So we may ask, if we have a king who offers us peace, why do we still struggle with striving and enmity and trouble? And especially, again, it's just the season in December as families gather, especially siblings. I know my siblings aren't here, and I love them, and they're great. But, you know, we fight. Sometimes we fight, you know. And siblings just are able to bring that out of you sometimes. I don't know. Don't tell them I said that. It's okay. You can tell them. Um, why is that, right? You know, perhaps you fought on your drive to church this morning or last night as you were getting ready. So how can we say that Jesus has brought us peace? Because he has brought us reconciliation. And what we experience in this life, the fullness we will experience in the life to come. That's theologically referred to as the already and the not yet. We still live in a world affected by sin and brokenness, but the promise of peace remains. It's deep and our story doesn't end here. We are able to enjoy things that are peaceful, like a cup of coffee or a quiet moment or sitting alone in our car because those serve as indications of the peace that is to come both in an evangelistic sense, where it calls us to Christ, and an experiential sense, where it reminds us of the peace we have in him, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and that we are united with him. Rather than the fact that we experience conflict, we should be reminded that we experience peace in him, in a life full of striving and trouble, that we can have joy, even if we live in times of strife. Our promise and our destiny for those in Christ Jesus is to find peace in him. And that is what we're called to share. Uh, Ethan's like right there, so I'm gonna mention him. But, you know, because he always asks me, why is the Bible necessary, right? It's one of the questions as I'm taking my theological exams. And the proof text for that is Romans 10. And that's why I remembered him. But that's what it says. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who have, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And we have good news. Beloved brothers and sisters, we have good news to share. In a busy season, in a time of striving and conflict and division, we have good news to share. We have a peace in Christ. Glory to God in the highest. Let us share these news, not out of guilt or nervousness, but joy. We see in the story of the angels the beauty of the gospel. Their song shows us how God is so glorious that he sent his one and only son, that Christ took to himself a human nature and is yet without sin. The angels were right in singing. 
because what a peace has been brought to us and what was true then is still true now. I uh, really like hymns. I used to say that I like poems but don't tell anybody because I don't know, I felt like it was dorky, but I've shared that so much that I can just say I like poems. So that's probably my last time saying that I like poems and it's dorky, but I like poems. And therefore, I like hymns, because hymns are like these really beautiful and complex poems. But there is a hymn that I thought would capture perhaps what, I've, how it has been my poor attempt uh, about, about what I was trying to say. And the, the hymn is, my song is love unknown. So I'd like to read that to you as we come to a close. The hymn is, my song is love unknown. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? Sometimes they strew his way and his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day hosannas to their king. Then crucify is all their breath, and for his death they thirst and cry. In life, no house, no home, my Lord on earth might have in death, no friendly tomb, but what a stranger gave. Heaven was his home, but mine the tomb wherein he lay. Here might I stay and sing, no story so divine. Never was, lo never was love, dear king, never was grief like thine. This is my friend, in whose sweet praise I all my days could gladly spend. We have a song to sing because Jesus has brought us peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we could gather here. We look to you, God, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from above knowing that during this time it's easy to be distracted and busy and hurrying from thing to thing. Forgive us, Lord. Let our quiet and still lives confess the beauty of that peace that you have brought to us. Help us, Lord, as we walk from day to day, as we reflect on the beauties of the gospel, that you gave your one and only Son to bring us peace. And we may sing. Help us, Lord, as we deal and interact with different people by both our deed and word to share with them the beauties of this peace that you have brought. Help us, Lord. Help us. Because we know that what has been done by your son is sufficient. We look to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.